Welcome to Exhale Bible Discovery. Each week, we'll take a deep dive into the Bible, going line by line and chapter by chapter to discover the truths that God has for us in His Word. Hello, everyone. We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And last week, Paul taught us to avoid being caught up in legalistic topics. And instead, he encouraged us to focus on the love that Jesus brought to us. In chapter 9, this week, Paul defends his ministry and his endurance with his faith. So I have this broken into two parts. The first division, Paul's defense of his ministry, which is verses 1 through 18. And then part two are Paul's endurance in the ministry, 19 through 27. So this chapter takes on a new type of teaching from what we've been seeing in the last few chapters. And he begins defending his role in the ministry and of others who were also helping to spread the gospel. Right off the bat, in verse 1, he asks four rhetorical questions. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? So he's posing these questions because these are things that he was being hit with from the Corinthian people. The first one, asking if he was free, again, a complete rhetorical question. Of course he's free. But as a Christian, he is under the rules of Christ. He is no longer his own, but answers to Almighty God. Next, another rhetorical question regarding his apostleship. Many in Corinth were even questioning, was Paul indeed a legitimate apostle of Christ? And an apostle was one who was sent on a mission for the spread of the gospel of Christ. The third rhetorical question is to affirm Paul's amazing testimony of being blinded on the road to Damascus and receiving this direct message from Christ. And you can see that and go back and read it in Acts 26. And then finally, Paul challenges the Corinthians that they have benefited from his work, from his being an apostle and bringing the message of Christ to them. And so these questions were posed ahead of some very purposeful truths that Paul needed to clarify. So in verse 2, he says, you know, even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. And so now he's pointing out that he was sent to them specifically. They were Christ's chosen people to be receiving this gospel. And he was reminding them that they were the seal of his apostleship, meaning through the work of Christ in Paul, they were the recipients of this ministry. And then in verses three through six, now he really goes into a defense. He starts out with, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink or the right to take a believing wife? Or is it only I and Barnabas who lack the right to not work 
for a living. So Paul, calling in its own defense, and he is known as the original Christian apologist. And the Greek word for defense is apologia. So when you're in defense of your faith, you are an apologist. It's not saying you're apologizing for Christ. You are in defense of. So Paul was a seasoned student of the law, and now he would use these knowledge and skills for the case for Christ that he was defending. And he poses three more questions aimed at his rights, as well as fellow apostles, to the basic needs for others to enjoy. Just because he is Christian does not negate the basic needs afforded to others in the ministry. And many apostles in those days received support from local churches. Paul and Barnabas were different, though. They chose to continue their respective fields of work. And many scholars believe this was not out of pride, but simply because they did not want to be accused of preaching for money which we're going to see in these next few verses, there's nothing wrong with that. Verses 7 to 8 says, Who serves as a soldier at his own expense or plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? So he's posing another set of questions to back up the points he was just making. Here, these five questions are asked about a variety of ways people are paid for their labor. And his point is clear that when people work, In an honest manner, compensation, obviously, is part of the equation. And when he refers to the law saying the same thing, he is pointing to the Old Testament of the Mosaic law, which goes into the next few verses. Verses 9 through 10. Now he says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an oxen while it is treading out the grain. Is it about the oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yet this was written for us because whoever plows and threshes should also be able to do so in hopes of sharing the harvest. Well, Paul is referring to a scripture in Deuteronomy 25.4 where it says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. And what this meant was the humane treatment of animals used for work. And back in those days, the grain needed to be crushed in order to remove the husk for continual walking of the oxen back and forth over the grain so that then it could be used for food. And it was cruel to muzzle these animals while they worked so that they couldn't eat some of the grain. That would just not have been right. So Paul is pointing out that even the oxen are allowed to eat the fruits of their labor. So his point is clear in that those who do the work for the kingdom should receive compensation for the fruits of their labor. So even though Paul chose not to receive compensation for doing his work for Christ, there is no reason why anyone else in the ministry should not receive compensation. So obviously that was a big hot topic back then. And then in verses 11 and 12, he goes on to say, if we have sown spiritual seeds among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right, shouldn't we have it all the more? So Paul drives home the message 
that the work of the gospel was being spread, and therefore it makes sense for the churches to support these missionaries, teachers, and apostles. He is, in essence, encouraging the church to support the cause of Christ, even though he himself was foregoing this compensation. And this truth regarding Paul continues to confirm his mission was sincere, honest, and no one has ever been able to accuse him of anything less. And certainly, there's no reason to not receive compensation for doing the Lord's work as long as others are not being taken advantage. Those receiving compensation for doing the Lord's work, you've got to remain honest and true and be good stewards of what has been entrusted. So Paul was extra careful that he did not engage in any kind of behavior that would harm his standing with Christ in the church. And then in verses 13, 14, he talks about that those even who go to the temple, the pagans, to get their food, they share in the same food and altar and offerings, nailing home another point regarding compensation. Those who heed the calling of the Lord have no reason to not be paid for their chosen type of work. While some in the ministry believe and live by a code of poverty, others have taken it to the extreme excessiveness of wealth. Any Christian working in the ministry for Christ should carefully and graciously accept compensation in a manner that is pleasing to a believer. And this includes a modest approach. So Billy Graham is one that came to mind when I'm going through this. So while he amassed great wealth throughout his life and through his ministry, he was very generous and humble with his money. He invested his money in the kingdom in so many ways, and he never flaunted his wealth as he led his life. Verses 15 through 16, but I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in hopes that you will do such things for me. I'd rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Wow. He is saying here that although he has the right to this compensation, he has chosen not to partake in order he is not accused in any way of boasting. He is preaching the gospel because he must. His life was so impacted by his conversion that there was simply no way he could do anything else. Wow, such passion. Verses 17 through 18, he's talking about if he preached voluntarily that he has a reward. So Paul's making his final point on this topic, that he simply preached because that is what he was compelled to do. And he did it in such a way to not draw attention to his own personal needs or his ego. And the principle right here is all who are called to the ministry in any way needs to remember that ego and greed have no place in spreading of the gospel. So your truth bomb is keeping the gospel the main thing is critical for all who are preaching or teaching God's word. And your call to action, 
how are you being a good steward of what you have been entrusted with? Is there an area of ministry that you're being called to support? Okay, the second part of this chapter is Paul's endurance in the ministry. Starts out in verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. The conclusion of this chapter now focuses on Paul's endurance to finish the race he was entrusted with. In verse 19, he declares his commitment to the cause for the faith. His mission for the rest of his life was clear to bring as many as he could into this kingdom of Christ. Verses 20 through 21, he says, To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law I became under the law. He is telling us that he there are certain things that he had to do in order to bring others to Christ. Well, we know Paul was born a Jew, so it makes sense that he would want to bring his own people to know Jesus. And knowing the laws of the Jews, it would be easy for Paul then to identify them. And he understood their traditions and their culture. And so he was in a great position to reach them. And then in verses 22 through 23, he talks about to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So he continues in this line of thinking to get his point across regarding the importance in doing whatever it takes to share Christ. And he was known for his passion and for his fortitude in all that he did in the name of Jesus. And then in verse 24, he says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. So in these final verses, Paul starts using the analogy of an athlete finishing his race in comparison to his own ministry. And this analogy would have been easy for the Corinthians to understand because the ancient Isthmian games that were held every other year were very prominent in that area. These actually were the games that were prior to what became the Olympic Games. During these games, they provided a crown, a wreath, as the prize for the winning athletes. And Paul understands the more important prize is to gain entrance into heaven. Therefore, when he says run in such a way as to get the prize, he is reminding us that whatever work we are doing for the kingdom, do it as unto the Lord. And so in Colossians, Paul wrote this verse in three Colossians 3, 23 through 24. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. And then in verse 25, everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And I love 
this part of Paul's analogy regarding training. He's telling us that in order to compete in this race for our salvation, it takes work, commitment, and dedication. And each time we attend our Bible studies, we study the scriptures, we worship, and we and do anything that advances the kingdom. We are strengthening our spiritual muscles. And as we help to advance this kingdom, we know our prize is eternal life. Rewards we attain here on earth are not eternal. So the only thing that lasts is the eternity we're going to share with Christ someday. So then in verse 26, he says, Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. And so he's telling us his intentional message, and his mission for Christ is that everything he does is for the advancement of the gospel. Now there's some passion. Verse 27, no, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. So here in this final verse, Paul tells us he pursues excellence as if he were in training for a sporting event. And he takes what he is doing very seriously because he does not want to disappoint his master, Christ. So your truth bomb, those who believe in the gospel must be prepared to carry the message in whatever way we have the opportunity to do so. So your call to action, how are you in training to run the race Christ sets before you? So in summary, we have two really important principles. One, being prepared to defend the gospel of Christ, and two, being able to do so to the very best of your ability. So this chapter should impress upon each of us that we also have a spiritual race to run. None of us are exempt from participating in this race. When I was training for long races, and I used to run about six half marathons a year, I always started out with low mileage. And as my strength increased, I could build on running longer and longer distances. And it could only be accomplished by keeping my eyes on the goals that I had created for myself. And I had to properly eat and get rest in order to keep going. So as I compare physical training to my spiritual training, I see a lot of similarities. The more I dig into God's word, the more he reveals and entrusts with me. The rewards are the development of my spiritual gifts to share with others. And the prize, of course, means the beauty of helping others on this spiritual journey. So what is your commitment to Christ? What is your commitment to Bible study, to your church, your family, your friends, your community? Run your race and keep your eyes on the finish line and never give up. Be sure to visit my website, drpaulamcdonald.com, click on podcast, and then exhale Bible discovery for self-study guides and resources to support you with each episode. 